I think, you know, and that's that prisoner to their death syndrome that we all get into, like, well, we can't leave till, you know, so-and-so leaves, or we can't do this till so-and-so. And it's like, hey, if I'm more, more efficient and more structured in my day, it's better for me to leave so that I got more energy for tomorrow. Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas, and practices of some of the best practitioners in high-performance sport. So this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast features an absolute legend of our industry in Joe Ken. So we hear lots about young practitioners being put off the industry for various different reasons, pay, working conditions, etc., We also hear about experienced practitioners dropping out of the industry because of similar things. Now, how can we ensure that we have people like Joe Ken in our industry that are there for 32, 35 years and have all the necessary skills to be able to stay there and have the mental strength and physical strength sometimes to work to stay in the game? And that's why I got Joe on today. How do we create coaches that have that longevity in our industry. So that's what we discuss, all from how we program and not getting caught up in the latest fads to dealing with social media, dealing with uh, hype in our industry, so much stuff in this episode, especially if you're a young practitioner, I say minus five years, even if you're plus five years experienced, it'll still be interesting, but I think minus five years, there'll be so many um, takeaways from this episode. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics. Hawking Dynamics is the world's first wireless force plate testing system. The Hawking Dynamics system is built for coaches to test in the real world, not just in the lab. Capture reliable data on all your athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor their progress in the cloud from anywhere in the world. The Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, portable and trusted by teams at every level of sport. Integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring program has never been easier or more affordable. If you want to see the Hawking Dynamics force plate system in action, head over to their website, hawkingdynamics.com, to schedule a demo or follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. Also sponsoring this episode is Play. Play is the leader in high-performance athletic flooring and strength equipment globally. So with offices in the US, Australia and the UK, Play provides an end-to-end experience by collaborating with organizations through their own proprietary formula to create world-class environments for coaches and athletes. Play's Achieve 18mm Rubber and Attack Turf have been at the cornerstone of elite training facilities for now over a decade with the addition of the new Icon X rack range. Play are once again set to elevate the industry. On the 23rd of April 2022, Play will be hosting their first UK lab of the year in collaboration with Loughborough University. Play will be joined by some exceptional speakers from elite sport, industry and academia with a huge breadth of knowledge and experience. Listeners and supporters of Pace Performance Podcast are able to obtain an exclusive 20% discount using the code SPORTSMITH20 when registering at playacademy.com forward slash play hyphen labs hyphen Loughborough. 
Smarterbase from Fusion Sport is the premier human performance optimization platform for elite sports teams and military organizations. Built on infinitely configurable framework, Smarterbase is the most flexible software on the market. Create an adaptable solution to support your unique strategy, process and culture for a fraction of the cost and time it takes to build your own. Centralize your performance and health data by easily integrating with other tech and data systems using Smarterbase's robust API and custom-built connectors. Improve performance and reduce injury by enabling better communication and decision-making with role-based access, custom workflows, mobile apps, and personalized visual dashboards. And with the Smarterbase success guarantee, you can be confident in your human performance solution and the people who stand behind it. Visit fusionsport.com forward slash Smarterbase to learn how Smarterbase can help you improve athlete performance and service member combat readiness. So without further ado, over to the episode with Joe. Joe Ken, welcome to the Pace Performance Podcast. Thank you very much for joining me. Hey, thank you. I'm, a, I'm very excited to be here and humbled when anybody uh, reaches out to ask me to be a part of their show. So uh, thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. My pleasure. So obviously you're based in the US, but I think your name and I think your reputation definitely crosses the Atlantic. So plenty of guys over here will have heard of, of you and what you've done, especially because I remember listening to you in the, I think, 2014. I think we, yeah, I believe we, that we was it, it was. right before we went to the Super Bowl. Yeah, so uh, the UKSA conference in the uh, yeah. in East Midlands. So yeah, I remember that, remember that very well. But anyone that doesn't know who you are, would you mind just giving us a, a brief background? Because I know there's been a few changes recently. Uh, I'd be interested to know what you've, you, you've been up to. Yeah, so... My name is Joe Kent. I am a 32-year veteran of the strength and conditioning game. Uh, I've been at, in the United States level. I've been at high school, collegiate, and the professional levels. Uh, spent two years at the high school level coming out, 19 years in college, nine years in the NFL, and one year in the private sector. And then now I'm in my second year in a different space, but still in the fitness field as the vice president of performance education for dynamic fitness and strength. And the, and the great thing about that is it allows me to stay grounded with the strength and conditioning uh, career, uh, the field, the coaches, and allows me to do cool things like this and to continue to mentor coaches across the country and overseas also, as you know. We, we I've been very, very fortunate that a lot of my uh, training modalities have reached reached overseas, and uh, I've had people from you know over there, UK, Germany, Japan, uh, China have reached out saying that they've read my book and really love the way I've thought planned on the on athletic based strength training from a practical standpoint. But yeah, it's been a good space. I played college football, so without without sports, probably no one would know me. Um, you know, because I was very uh, fortunate. I had, my parents worked extremely hard, but I needed a scholarship to go to college. And fortunately for me, I had a good enough skill set to play football and a really good coaches to help me enhance those skills to move on to college. And I would say the biggest thing for most people, because every, every generation is different, depending on when you first heard of me, people see me as a football guy. And 
rightfully so. But the truth is, I started my college career as a as a as an Olympic sports strength coach. So I've been I've been I've been exposed personally to I've coached uniquely myself with my hands on them, you know, ten sports over my career and my programming and and the universities that I've worked with, my programming model and template has has worked with over twenty sports. So we we have a we we I pride myself on the fact that I became a strength coach to work with any athlete. Obviously, you're going to gravitate towards certain sports based off who you are and what you are. For me, it was football, and the and the ideal for me, the ultimate goal was to be an NFL strength coach. But I didn't get into it to be what I call in nowadays a sports specific strength coach. I got into it because I loved the weight room and I saw what it can do to enhance an average person's performance and make them above average and to succeed at a higher level than most. And that was my ultimate goal. But I have the, you know, I, I love women's sports. Like, I, I think that those gave me, the women athletes that I worked with gave me the the true wherewithal to understand how to coach. The fact that those athletes were very wanting, like they wanted to be coached. They, want, they, they loved the fact that we invested time in them. They didn't see it like, well, it's an, you're, they they saw it like golly they really care about us, where a lot of times male athletes you know it's just part of the deal, right? Well, you're the strength coach, you're supposed to do this and that, and the coaches too. I think the coaches at the Olympic sports back in eight day, remember it wasn't like it is now over in the states where almost every sport now has their own strength coach, especially in basketball, baseball, and football, and even some in soccer. When I when I was in school, when I got into college strength and conditioning. It was it was myself as a GA and the head strength coach, and we had 17 sports. Let's go. So it's a lot different now. You know, we worked. I mean, you would run out, stretch the football team, run back in, train five sports, run back out, post-stretch and condition the football team, and then run back in to do gymnastics. I mean, that was that was an afternoon daily. So I, I like to find I like to remind people that the programming that I believe in. Is for any sport. It's very easily adaptable. We made it that way. It's been highly sustainable. And I credit that to the coaches who believed in that process, all the athletes that worked for worked with us, and all the staff that worked with us who are willing to pave the way to push this thing to uh, uh you know, I, I thought it was a niche deal, and now it's a world it's a world recognized system, and there's and a lot of you know, we continue to this day, it continue to expose more people to it through internet, through podcasts like yourselves, through the book still being, you know, published. Uh, they, they, they begging me to write a second book and I, and it, it, and it's coming sooner than, sooner than later because we're building out some cool stuff. But in the end, I keep going, why do I need to write a new book when everybody's still loving the first book? So for me, it's a, you know, it's been a 32 year journey. Uh, I feel like it's been incredible, right? I've been very, very humbled by the athletes who allowed me to be a part of their careers. I think that as a strength and conditioning coach, you should always, I don't want to say you should always be in the shadows, but that's kind of the position we're in, a shadow position. We're a support to the athlete to benefit them at the highest levels, to give them the best opportunities to protect themselves and to enhance their physical performance and be able to 
provide things from a mental standpoint, a physical standpoint, a personal standpoint, a professional standpoint, to the best of our capabilities. I mean, you know, coaching's teaching, teaching is communication, and that's the one thing that I don't think will ever go away. I don't think artificial intelligence will never be able to communicate like two human beings. I'm just going to ask you, Joe, just the um, the mic, yeah. just rubbing on your on your top a little bit. Would you just hold it? Oh. How's that? That better? Yes. Up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's fine. That's fine. Got it. So the, it's the fact that you've been around for 32 years. I don't think we've got a strength coach, fitness coach over here that's been around for 32 years. I don't think it's been here for 32 years. Um, so that's the reason I wanted to get you on because there's, there's so much that we can dive into. But one thing that I'd really like to get your opinion on, and it's the longevity, like 32 years is a long time. So how do coaches now, I don't know that things have changed over those 32 years, a lot has changed over those 32 years, but how do the young coaches now, or the, the more established coaches, generate that longevity that you have in this game. And the one that one thing that I wanted to mention was it was once about the the hustle, the grind, the getting early, you leave late. Now it's kind of it's almost flipped where you've got this coach health undercurrent, which I think is a is a great thing. And that's definitely building. So you've got these two conflicting thought processes going on. I'd just like to get your thoughts on on both of them. Well it's funny you say about the we, we, I was just having this discussion and I've said this at a couple of presentations about being the first one in and the last one out. Right. And, 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 and it takes a while. Like you get to that point where now you're like making significant impacts and you're, and you're overthinking. It's like, it's like when you get your knowledge and it becomes wisdom. Like for example, you, you want to be the first one in, right? Cause you want to impress everybody, but who are you impressing? If you're the first one in, no one that you're trying to impress is there yet. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, I got to be the first one in the building. Why? If no one's there to know you were the first one in, you could you could be, you know, you could come in and say, oh, I was the first one in today. And then the same thing, got to be the last one out. Well, who are you impressing? Because the people that you're trying to impress already left. And I think, you know, and that's that prisoner to their death syndrome that we all get into. Like, well, we can't leave till, you know, so-and-so leaves, or we can't do this till so-and-so. And it's like, Hey, if I'm more more efficient and more structured in my day, it's better for me to leave so that I got more energy for tomorrow. Um, you know, coaches sleeping. You hear about coaches sleeping in their office during the seasons and and watching film and stuff. There's only so much film you can watch before you're overanalyzing it. You know, if you watch the same play a hundred times, the play's not changing. The guy missed a block the first time. He missed a block the hundredth time. So there, you know, there, there's things like that. And from a longevity standpoint, it's really, can you commit to the come up? I call it the come up because the come up's hard and it's only getting harder in this day and age for the young strength and conditioning professional in the States, because the game has changed from the, the jobs and the roles that are available to them. Uh, for example, and we've done a, and we've done a poor job as administrators and leaders of adjusting what we're asking these, these young strength coaches to, to have, to have from an experience or an educational level than it was when I first started. For example, 
when I first started, I would say, I don't want to say 100 because that'd be a high, high percentage of strength and conditioning coaches started as graduate assistants because no one was funding full-time positions very, very rarely. It was the head guy and GAs. And that made it easy for a lot of us to get a master's degree and two years of experience because GAs back in the day, you got a tuition waiver and a stipend. So you got your school paid for and you got the capabilities to, to be a strength coach in a university athletics department setting. Well, as the, the, the roles have, as, it, as it, staffs increased, the rule of the five strength coach for football evolved. Now there's a push for multiple full-time assistants. But we're still asking for masters and two years of experience when the, a lot of the bigger schools don't offer GAs anymore. So there's a limited factor in what schools are offering full tuition waiver graduate assistantships where you can still get your master's plus two. And we've got to accept that that's not the, that's not the norm anymore to ask master's plus two because what's happening is these, and there's more, and there's more strength coaches now that didn't participate in, in college sports than ever. Because now people are like, wow, that's a cool deal. And, you know, the, the education's changed. And now when we, 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 I'm sure we're going to talk about the sports science and the technology that's changed. And now you got a whole different outlook on what's going on. So it's gotten tougher. So we've got to understand, the administrators got to understand that when we're building out these roles for these strength coaches to come up the gradual plane of succession is... Some of them are making hard choices. Okay, people are telling me it's education. But is it education? Because now you're telling me I need experience. So from that standpoint, it becomes a matter of, do I choose education where now I, don't, I can't find a GA, so I've got to take a loan out to finish school versus, okay, do I go for the internship where it's unpaid so I got to get a job to help pay the bills so I can't go to school? And that's that's the conundrum that the student athlete or the student who wants to be a coach has to fall into at this point in time in their careers. So that's that's the tough that's the tough sell for those guys, uh male and female because a lot of them, you know, got to make those choices and that's a hard choice. Me personally, I would tell you to get the experience because I'm going to hire experience first. The school, I think in this day and age with online, you can get the schooling when you're financially capable. But if you're going to make a sacrifice early, I think you need to sacrifice for experience because, you know, the master's to me is preferred status. Uh, a lot of times now at the higher level positions, we're seeing that a master's is required. So at some point in time, a lot of people are going to have to get a master's degree. But even now, like even my son, I told him, man, you're going to wind up having to get a PhD. So those are, those are the things that you have to look at. The longevity is, can you stick it out? You see a lot of people say they want to be in this position. And then what we find out is, you know, a couple of years later, I can't afford to do it or I'm burnt out. 
I don't see any, uh, I don't see the, the, the opening in sight. Am I going to land a full-time job? How many internships for free can I do? Uh, you know, it's, it's very, very tough. And I feel for the coaches that are in it now, because even though there's 20, there's so many more jobs available full-time, the pool has increased a hundred times over. So that's the, the toughest part really is, are, can you commit to it long term? So, Joe, based on based on that and everything you've just said there, how's the value? How's the value of a strength and conditioning coach changed over the thirty two years? I'm sure there's been ups and downs in the strength and conditioning profession, but obviously, m- many more members of staff and and positions available for for young strength and conditioning coaches, as we've said. But in terms of an administration head coach, technical coaches, how they view the strength and conditioning coach, how has that changed over the 32 years? Yeah, having been at all, and again, I can only speak for the states. Having been in all the the, the, uh, platforms of the different uh, stages of high school, professional, and college, I would say first and foremost, the importance at the high school level in the United States has grown exponentially. Uh, there's a lot more strength coach only positions where coaches don't have to coach multiple sports and oh, they run the weight room. There's full-time positions now in private and public schools that the strength and conditioning coach or the, you know, a lot of times if you're in a public school system, you do have to be certified to teach, but you're explicitly there for to be the strength and conditioning coach and to run the the advanced PE, so to speak, or the the athletic-based strength training courses for the athletes that are on on site. So from from the the protection standpoint and from the teaching standpoint, where you're bringing in, you know, not somebody who just happens to know where the weight room is, but somebody whose goal in life is to help teach and explain training modalities and exercise technique. The high school level is exponentially a, a, a legitimate job. Like that wasn't to say, and that, and I would say it's really blown up in the last five years. College is all dependent on what sports you work with. I mean, there's high value in colleges, particular in football and basketball. But like there's, but now a lot of the other uh, Olympic sports are saying that showing value and that they want their own strength coach for their sport because of the amount of time and commitment that they're asking that coach to do. They want them to travel. They want them to be more involved in the overall yearly process of the plan, not just run a weight room and run my kids. They're, they're, they're getting very more specific on what's asked to doing. Uh, as technology has improved, you know, over here, soccer was probably one of the first teams to go all in on heart rate heart rate variability. And I think that comes because soccer is a dominant sport overseas. So that's going to trickle down first and foremost. And then, you know, so that, so I think soccer from a standpoint over in the States has been a, at the forefront of bringing technology into the standard strength and conditioning programming in the professional level. It's a lot different. I believe, I think that the models have changed and the toughest thing is to be honest with you, what I've seen being away from the last couple of years, and I brought this up to a lot of people and they tend to agree is um, 
Strength and conditioning coaches sometimes are their own worst enemy, especially the ones who came up at the time that I did because it was about, you know, put your head down, do the work, coach your kids, work them hard, and all the other stuff that right now to me is kind of, man, we, we blew it when it comes to our, our profession and career. And a lot of people still really don't know what that role is. Like, what do these guys do except just watch guys lift weights or watch women lift weights? And what's also happened, too, is like you brought up, there's a lot of things have changed. So when, when we all first started years ago, it was an athletic trainer was always already there in place. And then here comes a strength coach. But we also acted, both of us, the trainers and strength coaches, we had to act as nutritionists. Uh, we had to act as, in some ways, sports scientists, right? With data collection and evaluating what's going on in that particular sport or, or an individual athlete. And we had to be, you know, the psychological fact, you know, someone where a kid could come in the office and shut the door and have a, you know, heart to heart or a somewhere where they could voice their concerns or what's going on in their personal life without having to talk to a coach, uh, their, their position coach or, or their sport coach. So we were holding several hats that now become specific jobs. And rightfully so, right? You can only really be an expert in one thing. And we're hanging our hats and multitasking numerous different, uh, you know, uh, subject matter experts and we're trying to mesh that all into one. So now you have, you know, you used to have strength coach, athletic trainer. First you had athletic training and then you had some people work in the weight room. Then people realize, okay, you got strength coaches and athletic trainers. And then they fill the, the secondary role of nutrition, education, uh, data collection. You know, we, we've always turned in and collected numbers in strength and conditioning. That's what it started as, right? Oh, how much did your squat go up every year? What's your team averages and all the other stuff? Well, how fast did they run 40? What's their 20 time? What's their vertical jump? And then also from the, you know, we didn't even know it was called, you know, mental health. It was you, you became someone that athletes could lean on and get a, you know, another person that didn't control their money or playing time, somebody they could rely on to voice their whether it's frustration or issues at at home or what was going on in their personal life without getting, you know, I don't want to say scared, but not having to relay that to a position coach or a head coach where it could affect their scholarship in some ways. But now what we've found is there there is, you need a nutritionist, like someone who's got the skill set and the expertise in sport nutrition and as a registered or licensed dietitian. Obviously, in this day and age, we, we, it's been proven, you need a mental health expert. You need someone that can do those things that has the necessary skill set as well as the education to just not pat somebody on the back and say, hey man, it'll be okay. We got to figure it out. They know what the fit, they understand. They have the tools. They have the, uh, you know, the, what do you call them? like the testing or the the surveys that take to get to understand, uh, you know, even with like learning disabilities and things like that. Like, why why is this athlete having so much trouble, you know, 
getting from one point to point A to point B. What are we missing? They understand the, the signs to help more than we would, you know, and then, and then the, from the sports science with the increase in technology, there's always been data collection. What, what sports science and technology have done is gives you a lot of affirmation to what a lot of us were doing, like we talked earlier off screen, anecdotally. Um, you know, how strong, is, how strong is strong enough? Well, how fast is fast enough? Uh, we're seeing a lot of paradigm shifts in KPI measurements, right? I, you know, like in, you know, football, 40 time, 40 time, 40 time. Well, now, now people are saying, well, mile per hour, mile per hour, mile per hour, where we could never do that without some type of GPS monitoring system. Everything was based on seconds covered in, in a certain amount of time. But now we can see, you know, how fast an acceleration more specific to time than just a time on a stop clock. So that that evolution has put the strength and conditioning coach in an interesting site. Uh, in my short time when I was overseas, it was obvious that the high performance manager, whatever that title may entail, had more authority in how things were gonna be dictated than a strength and conditioning coach. And over here, the strength and conditioning coach was always the go-to for the sport coach. And what we're seeing is as advances in technology, uh, as education, as data becomes more prominent and analytics becomes this new wave, the, the traditional strength coach is taking a hit. Uh, I don't mean that to be, uh, to sound like, oh, what, a, you know, you're talking about, hey man, I've lived this profession for 32 years. I, I've, I've earned the right to say my opinion and I've earned the right to be wrong. Uh, I, I just think that we have not, we are, we are losing our voice because individuals who have constant contact with higher ups in, in the organizations and administrators are able to fulfill a role in a different means than a strength coach, but also tell those higher ups what the strength coach's role should be. So it's an interesting time to be what I would call a traditional strength and conditioning coach. If you're in my age, Brack, you better get off your butt and get and get dialed in on science. Now, I'm not telling you, you got to be a sport. You got to go into that whole sports science realm because there's always going to be value in somebody having to be on the floor, teaching exercise technique, communicating with athletes on the ground level. But you're going to need to know more than you think you know. I the last two years, I've really done a good job personally of understanding that space more and where what we had available to us with the Panthers, what we used from a team standpoint, what I used, and more more critical about how to how to look at certain things and metrics that that information gives you. Uh, velocity based training uh, it is you know eighty percent looks different for other people. Now you can manipulate percentage based training based off of, you know, how fast certain people move that load. I still think it's a combination of both. A lot of people are hanging their hat purely on what velocity-based training says. But let's remember, all, all of those wearables, all of those uh, devices still have margins of error that we have to, we, we need to understand that. Nothing is set perfectly. If I use one velocity-based training and it looks like I'm super fast, and then train to another system 
Well, their algorithm might say, well, you ain't as fast as you think. So we've all got to be aware of that and use the data accordingly. Give us a range, give us some consistent effort if we stay with the same product. No different than body fat, right? If you do calibers, then you got to do calibers. If you do DEXA, you got to do DEXA. If you do uh, bod pod, you got to do bod pod. If you do bioelectrical impedance, you got to stay with that because if you keep varying those those different types of norms, you're going to get 20 different types of data and you're not going to be able to show if the kid or the athlete improves or not. So I think that the evolution of what we do is each each thing now has a specific role. Like there's there's specific categories. So you can really be specific in what your role is. In my particular deal, it would be strength and power development with but there's going to be a lot more feedback, right? You're going to have more of a, a team approach into what that looks like because you're going to have an expert in sports science that tells you this. That person's going to help in return to play. So then you're going to team up with the athletic trainers. And I even believe you should have a rehab specialist. You should have a sports rehabilitation for post-surgical planning should be a, another arm of that new uh what I call a, a horizontal hierarchy approach. And that's where someone that's in that high performance position would have merit because they would be the moderator of all these experts. Someone to help put everybody into place where at the end of the day, it's an athlete-centered model. It's not a, well, I'm the strength coach. It's, I'm, it's about me or I'm the science guy. It's about me or I'm the nutritionist. Everything we do is, should be athlete-centered. And when people figure that out and can come to conclusions, it's not about whether I like you or not. If you're, you know, if you're working next to me, it's in the end of the day, whether I like you or not or whether I believe in what, we all got to come together to make sure that the athlete is cared for. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Joe. Hope you enjoyed part one. So part two kicks off with a chat about the basics. So anywhere you go, lectures, presentations, workshops, social media, just do the basics well. But what are the basics? These are the views of someone that's been in our industry and seen it all for 32 years. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Kitman Labs. Kitman Labs is sport's first technology company to offer a complete solution that includes innovative analytics and an advanced athlete management platform that is supported by a team of sports, technology and data science experts with over 200 years experience. Kitman Labs is leading the evolution of sports performance, partnering with over 150 elite teams across the NFL, NHL, MLB, AFL, EPL and Championship Rugby. Through advanced statistical analysis, rigorous scientific research and unparalleled industry experience, they've architected the world's only analytics platform that helps sports teams to truly harness their data and uncover the influences behind performance optimization and injury risk. To find out more about Kitman Labs, visit kitmanlabs.com or follow them on social media at Kitman Labs. And this episode is also sponsored by Omega Wave. Omega Wave is the only non-invasive at rest technology on the market 
that analyzes readiness to train via both brain and cardiac analysis. Using DC potential and HRV to understand your brain's energy level and autonomic nervous system balance allows you to use objective data on recovery and readiness that in turn helps you to truly individualize your training and thus optimize performance. Omega Wave also measures ECG from the V6 position. This data can be used by the medical profession to check cardiac health on a frequent basis. The measurement takes only four minutes to perform and results are visualized in an intuitive way thanks to our windows of trainability concept. Omega Wave is used by hundreds of elite sports, military and law enforcement organizations. Omega Wave are also the official partner of the UFC Performance Institute. Learn more about Omega Wave by visiting their website, omegawave.com, and their social media channels. And now back to the episode with Joe. Just want to move us on a little bit. And another thing that you see now, you go on social media, and I, I always seem to say when you go on social media, but it's such a big part of our lives. And you go on there and you see coaches talking to themselves or big discussions. <laughs> <laughs> and you hear, just do the basics well. Like it's a it's a popular thing to list, like get your decent nutrition, get your decent sleep, lift three times a week, like hundreds and hundreds of likes on these kind of posts. But when it comes to just do the basics well, no one seems to tell anyone else what those basics actually are. And everyone <laughs> but everyone seems to agree, just do the basics well. Yeah. But what are the what are the basics to you? Well, I think anything it starts with movement, so you know, what is, what is, I, it all goes back to like your protocols. What, what is, what is the basics? And I, and again, I think Dan John, and I don't want to misquote coach cause he, he seemed to be the one that put it out, right? Squat, hinge, upper body push, upper body pull and a carry or something, something into that modality. And I think that when you look at it from a, from a, 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 a holistic approach, yeah, what, you know, everybody's going to have their different choices, but most of the time, you know, a quality squat pattern, regardless of what that, what your choice is, you know, a quality hinge pattern, what, what that, and I talk about hinges more of a, uh, you know, could it be an Olympic lift or as typical of a deadlift or an, even an RDL, but in the end, it comes down to, you know, what's, what's the correct press, the debate of overhead pressing versus bench pressing and some people don't believe in overhead pressing where if you got healthy shoulders I think it's ideal to because you're in a upright you know for unless we're training uh adaptive athletes most of the team sports that most of us deal with we're going to be we're going to have athletes on two feet so the the standing overhead press uh balance coordination core strength stability you know that those have a lot of merits applying force into the ground in an upright position. Uh, you know, so it all goes back to what the coach believes in these, in these general groups are uh, obviously, you know, sprinting is important, right? And so guess what? So is lateral sprinting <laughs> and so is being able, and in some res in respects, uh, being able to sprint backwards and being, very multidextrous when you're building out these plans, especially in our roles. You know, we, we talk about general physical special preparation specialist versus 
specific. There's always an intertwine. But I mean, when we look at it from just an overall concept, you know, the strength and conditioning coach, their their main goal is the generalist part of it and some general specific. The sporting coach is, depending on what the role is, if it's the if it's the position coach, then their number one goal is the really the sport specific technical aspects of the position. Then you have the coordinators who enhance the schematics and some of the tactical. And then you have the head coach who oversees the overall culture and this and the overall dynamics of what the team's going to look like from a physical, mental, you know, uh, different types of philosophy standpoint, if that makes sense. So I think when you're asking what's, to me, it, it goes back to whatever you choose. And I've gone full circle with, it, should you be a back squatter? Should you be a front squatter? Should you be a no squatter? Should you be a one leg squatter, right? Uh, and then you find your niche and you find out where there's a lot to gravitate to and you, you listen. Uh, I think the biggest thing is whatever your fundamentals are, that they are extremely competent and efficiently taught to your athletes. I think that's the key. If sprinting matters, then teach them how to sprint to the best of their ability. If squatting matters, whatever that squat looks like, make sure it's technically efficient because I'm tired of watching, you know, the the kids take the blame for poor coaching. I mean, I mean, you see it all the time. You see these these lifts on on social media and every you, you see the, the team cheering these kids but then every coach that look at that technique that kid's horrible well the kid's only doing what the coach allowed him to do so don't get on the kid get on the coach if you believe it's that piss poor and that's certain things that happen on social media like I, I laugh like we were giggling right I laugh at certain things how coaches you know hey man you ain't getting your point across in 140 characters in Twitter especially someone like myself. So there's a lot of times I stay out of the the Twitter wars that people like, come on house, jump in. I'm not jumping in. It's not waste. <laughs> it's not, it's not worth my time and it's not worth my opinion to stir the pot. And some guys like stirring the pot. And some guys love stirring yeah, the pot. So for me, I, I just sit back and, and, and watch. And when I think there's something that I can have value in just dropping a quick deal without going too crazy into like one of the extremes. I, I I don't mind giving my opinion here and there, but if you really want to know my opinion, call me up and I'll discuss all day behind the scenes because that I think we could have a more, a more educational and a more, logical debate if we both disagree on something and i think in the end a lot of times we still may agree to disagree but we're going to have a more of a respect level and an understanding of each's opinion like we may meet in the middle like hey you know what you're like like with mike boyle he he has some interesting concepts when it comes to training what i call the squat patterns and mike was a big factor in me really early in my career of really evaluating where the front squat fit in because I was a, hey, we're back squatting and we're, we're back squatting is it. Uh, I don't care about anything else. We're going to get real good at back squatting, uh, squatting and that's just the way it is. And 
as I got older, I was like, whoa, now, you know, and listening to Mike when he was going front squat, front squat, front squat at the time, I was like, hmm, he could be on to something when it comes to athletic training athletes to a point where I've not wholeheartedly switched. But if you ask me, what's my top four exercises for an athlete? Front squat's one of them, not back squat. And then now he's into the rear foot elevated or the single leg solution. And I don't, I'm a huge proponent in single leg training. I don't know if I could give up the bilateral because I still believe in strength. And I do think you can get very strong single leg wise. I do. But to me, I just think for athletes in general, there, there is merit in doing bilateral work also. So one thing that comes up, as you can imagine, in the podcast all the time, and that's speed training. And if you would believe what you read on social media or anywhere in our industry, speed is the only thing that matters. Only thing that matters. So is that something that is, is the, I suppose, the speed obsession, I think is what I've uh, called it in the, in the past. Is that something, again, that is detracting from the traditional strength coach? Do you think this obsession with speed is something that is warranted, especially in American football, with how the game has developed? Is that something that, again, the traditional strength coach needs to upskill on big time if they're going to keep the pace with with what's going on in the, in the industry? Yeah, Three I, questions I, I, in there for you. I would say the speed deal isn't overrated. Because like isn't because of what you're seeing, like you said, the game is way faster. Even at the professional level, it's way faster. And a lot of that's being dictated by a lot of that's being dictated by the way the game has changed from a philosophy standpoint. You know, it's very, very upbeat in college. Way like very upbeat. I don't prefer it, but that's just the way it is. And speed has become the kingpin of recruiting. I, I think when it comes to absolute speed, what we find in GPS tells us that a lot of times absolute speeds very rarely very rarely reached. But, and I don't know what, what more people that have more expertise in terminology, but I would call it like um, speed reserve to me is you want to be faster because the, it's kind of the same thing that I believe in lifting about being stronger is you want to be faster because that means you're going to play faster at that percentage of speed. You know, if you run if you run 28 miles per hour, you're going to be able to hold a lot faster than if I run 26 over over a 75 play or 80 play game or even the same thing in any any sport where there's multiple uh movement actions over a long period of time. You know, in in the football setting, uh, American football there's always going to be a break between plays. So you're always going to have a recovery aspect where, you know, when you watch soccer and rugby, there's not as many breaks. So you're going to have different speed changes, but there's generally a lot of constant movement from my studies of soccer and rugby. But there's going to be times where guys do stand around and then all of a sudden they got to accelerate. But they're very rarely even there do you see somebody hit what their maximum miles per hour would be in a standard track and field session with the strength coach. So I think that there is a, 
there is merit in getting someone faster because when you when you level it out across a playing field and there and you build up their conditioning the goal is for them to maintain their highest level of relative max speed every play they're out there so i do i do see that but that was no different than us doing the same thing year after year trying to get a guy a faster 40 time same type of principle but miles per hour to me has a lot more it makes things a lot more understandable for 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 me moving forward rather than because you can because now you can track that you can track every single play that that athlete practices and every single play in a game that you can compare the speeds that they're running at over their max miles per hour where you can't really do that over a four, using a 40 a 40 yard dash time if that makes sense so i think there's a lot of a lot of merit. And I've learned a lot about the actual speed of miles per hour in the last two years. There's some, there's some really good for the, I call them young coaches because they're younger than me. I'm not saying that as a, as an inexperienced, but their experience with really figuring out how to use the GPS to their advantage when it comes to linear speed development is exceptional. Like I've been very, very impressed with what I've seen and it's making me a better uh, coach. So I do believe that getting someone as fast that that has merit in the game. I also think that detriment is because we're so worried about speed, we've lost some of our capability to get people strong. You're seeing that a lot in overall in offensive linemen in particular in football. I don't think it's affecting that many other sports, but it's definitely affecting offensive linemen uh, my last few years of being in the NFL, I felt like if we could redshirt offensive linemen we drafted to to bring up their strength levels. Now, athleticism, they were a lot a lot better overall than the the years past. But from that pure, unadulterated, strong enough, the NFL is, is a man. It's a you know, there's it's a grown man's game, and you got to have some grown man strength. So. I think that that's something that should be aware of when you're a strength coach at the college level for football and as you're a strength coach in the NFL level is, you know, and, and you've got to be conscientious too because offensive linemen play more snaps than any other position. So you got to factor that in that they got to be durable. You know, they're going to play, you know, I don't know depending on different teams' rotations, but they could pay, you know, two times the amount of a defensive lineman depending on how you're subbed in and out in, in sub packages. Offensive linemen don't get subbed out. And that's something that people got to remember, that they have to be your best conditioned athletes. They're the biggest. You know, they take up the most effort and stress because of the size. They they play in the line of scrimmage, so they may not run as much as someone else, but the intensity of effort and the engagement of strike has to be factored in. There's a different arousal and a different anxiety level when you know you're hitting someone who's within a yard across for you Rather than being out on the out out outside the box running, running and covering, it, it's just a different it's a different animal. So, I think there I think that it's not overrated. And again, that's my opinion. I think there's a lot of merit in doing it, but I but you also see. And again, I don't know if it's being oversaturated. I think that's what people like to talk about, and what and what's happened now on TV is. You know, everything is, oh, he ran 22 miles per hour in this game. Here's the fastest guys from this weekend's game. But I think a lot of these, a lot of these, 
A lot of these strength coaches who have enhanced their ability with technology to understand linear speed and maximizing that, they're still they, these these same guys are doing acceleration training too because they understand most sports is accelerative. So they're doing some things from a linear speed and a lateral speed stuff where they're using the the technology available to to look at how well guys are improving their acceleration capabilities, whether it's a you know a three yard run into a flying ten or a, a dead stop start flying ten or a lateral lateral movement work with seeing how fast they can accelerate laterally. So there's some cool things being happening. So I think it's more it's like anything else. What what does the what does the fan want to see? And that's what we post. Like, what does everybody want to see? No, no one wants to see your 10-yard dash acceleration times. Everybody wants to see who's running the fastest miles per hour. You know, like no one, no one's no one's showing, you know, hey, this guy did 10 jumps this this week and his average was 35, but his best was 40. They want to see the 40. So so I think that. And again, I don't know if I would have said that if I was still in the game, but being outside the game and, and being able to study different perspectives, I, I do. I see where it's going, and I see where there's a paradigm shift with this miles per hour, and I actually like it. I think there's more, there's more we can do with miles per hour because, like I said, you can evaluate that based off of every play of every practice and every game where you can't do that with a stopwatch. So for the last 15, 20 minutes, because I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep you to the hour. I know you've got the world record for longest podcast, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best. So you're to saying keep we're you to gonna do a part part two down the road <laughs> or something? Absolutely, why not? But one thing I want to dive into is the, obviously the tier the tier system. But one thing I want to touch on again, another thing that has probably gained some well, has definitely gained some traction over the last five or ten years, and that's loaded jumps, track yep. bar jumps jump squats, etc., and and the debate of whether they can take the place of traditional Olympic lifting or, and their derivatives. Within your system and within your um, thought process around programming, how do you tackle that? Because I know you're a big Olympic lifter, but yeah, I think does, that, uh... does, 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 jump, does loaded jumps take their place or complementary? Yeah, so it's very simple. I'll be honest with you. I've never done a low. I've never. Well, I can't say I'd never, but I don't recall the last time I might have prescribed a loaded jump in my training plan. Well, I if you well if you consider putting a, a weight vest on, that might be but like a trap bar jump or a jump squat. I don't know if I have done anything like that since I was at Boise State. It just just I couldn't tell you a real live honest answer why that is. Um, you know, we do a lot of sh- trap bar shrug pulls, but, and if a guy comes off the ground, maybe you want to kill it. But here's what I'll tell you. Everything falls into the exercise pool. How you establish your exercise pool and your terminology is, I look at it as, as whole movements. And one thing we started, we started as, as athletes graduated through our plan, like I call it a, a quadrennial plan or, or modified long-term athletic development because when I coach high school and when I coach pr- or when I recommend the high school and when I recommend the colleges, look at the athlete's career in a four-year quadrennial model. 
So you bring them in, you 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 teach them the and you under you know for you know teach them how to read a card, teach them how to squat, teach them how, you know all this stuff, and then as they continue to evolve through your program, you can expose them to more more complexities or more cool different exercises. Like I just like to use the word cool, right? They 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 learn the basics, they master the mundane, they they master the fundamental lifts, and then you can do all the variations off those lifts. And what happens is when you're with high level athletes and even any athletes, you know, you got to remember, we're not training a sport with a sport. We're trying to take these strength disciplines and utilize different movements and different exercises to enhance them in their, in their general athletic ability, which if they learn their position specifics, we hope to have a better performance on the field. So loaded jumps to me and jumps in particular, they fall into my, what I call my total body category for exercise pool so we 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 started doing jumps at in our tier four and five movements when i was in college because you get these especially with the outside the box of the skilled athletes and the and then the other sports it was easier but when it came to football was you know hey guy's been in your program four or five years and he's a wide receiver does he really still need to do snatch pulls right but so he doesn't want to do them you're fighting with him but you know what he wants to do is he'll do a box jump and you'll prescribe five sets of five box jumps. And the next thing you know, you got 20 kids over there trying to out box jump each other and they're competitive. They're doing the work you want. It's an eliciting a response you want. And guess what? I win because I'm not fighting them anymore or they're not hiding in the bathroom during snatch pulls. So to me, jumping loaded jumps, I don't care. Med ball throws. That falls into my total body category. So when I write my plans for the tier system, depending on the age of the athlete, the the level of training age of the athlete in particular, will determine how many barbell types of lifts I may use for explosive strength and how many jumps or med ball types of exercises I would use for explosive strength, if that makes sense. So for me, that's a simple answer. Uh, I, I utilize all Olympic lifts, loaded jumps, strongman carries, and anything, or and hip hinge work, like hip thrusts, anything with hip extension or total body movement is a total body movement. And it's easy for me to classify, it's easy for me to define, and it's easy for me to justify. So it makes it real easy for me when I'm looking at my template, okay, I want these guys to jump instead of do these Olympic lifts, where do I put it in? Let's talk about prioritization and how you may prioritize certain exercises for certain individuals. What is your, what's your, what's your checklist when it comes to, there's a gap, what exercise goes in there? Yeah, it goes to experience. It goes to where they came from. It goes to how long that I've trained them. Uh, A big thing with me with, uh, in the NFL was if I got a guy who's been with the team for 10 years and trained the same way for 10 years under the same strength coach, I need to know what, I need to know what exercises he is familiar with. I need to know which exercises he likes. I know which exercises he doesn't want to do anymore because at 10 years, you're teaching me how to stay in the NFL as much as I'm hoping I can help you stay longer. So it goes to, then we establish that guy's exercise pool. Like, for example, have an athlete that comes to me as a wide receiver and says, hey, house, man, I just don't want to squat anymore. He goes, I don't want to borrow my, I don't want to do, and I said, well, what do you like? He goes, well, I like doing split squats. Fine. 
Split squats will be your tier one exercise and we'll build out all the rest. But then, you know, we didn't, we didn't necessarily clean uh, some of our skill guys, but he goes, but I do like doing cleans. Okay, perfect. On Fridays, tier two, you'll clean and I'll just move you over with some of the tight ends and, and the fullbacks and some of the linemen because we clean on Fridays after bench. So it's as simple as that. I mean, it's, you can't be rigid. The higher the level of the athlete and the more and the more uh, advanced they are, you cannot be rigid in a year-round program. You and that's where like the conjugate method and variability is so important because and, and that's where experience and knowledge and wisdom comes in because you just continue to build this toolbox. And you want to expose the athletes to one what they what they will do to to give you the effort needed. So hey, coach man, I don't do Olympic lifts. Fine, I could care less. Let's do what do you? Let's do let's do some let's do some uh you know seated box jumps. Oh yeah, I'm cool with that. You know, it's just simple as that. I mean, now at the lower levels, there's certain things I want these athletes to learn because I think it's a necessity that they're not experienced enough to know yet what works for them. So we're all figuring it out. But as the athlete gets older, they know a lot and they can give you that through communication. And then it's up to your expertise to figure out, okay, what fits this? What exercises can we do to help this? If they've got an issue that they're concerned about, it's like now when I, when I was wor- I'm working with a high level strongman competitor who's had some hamstring issues in a particular deadlift. Okay, well, we evaluate that process. What's going on? What do we need to fix? What What is my recommendations? And then we put that plan in place and hopefully we can rectify those situations. It's the same thing. It's a, you know, people call it a basic needs analysis. It's it's a combination of all of that. And, and again, it goes back to understanding that, you know, in some cases, one size, you know, people talk about cookie cutter. In some size, one size does fit all. Basic basic things is, you know, squat pattern, deadlift pattern, like we said. There's certain things that everybody should learn. And you've, that you've comes me- at an Joe, early age. You've mentioned variation there a couple of times, and I've got that written down. And is variation something that is important to you, which you consciously program in variation? Or is variation something that happens anyway that you can get almost get, guarantee you're going to have to vary that the, the plan on a weekly basis because of shoulder issues knee issue <laughs> illness you know it's gonna happen anyway or is variation something that you think a lot about yeah variation is critical like especially in, in the upper level advanced athletes that i'll train is it'll be programmed uh cyclical but now you're talking about to me what i call unique auto regulation especially in season where Okay, I'm already rotating these things, but this guy's got issues. <laughs> so now you're going to really go what I call off the script work, right? You're just going to rebuild a plan. And a lot of times with some of these guys at the season, it is daily. It's how do you feel? Okay, come back tomorrow. How do you feel? Go get treatment. Come back tomorrow. How do you feel? Okay, let's just do this. <laughs> how do you feel? You know, but... So there's variability in the structure of the planning and that's based off of, you know, specific, I would call, let's just call specific weeks 
Every three or four weeks, we're flipping. Just again, establish a stance, get away from the monotony. These guys are well-prepared. They're competent in all these movements. Then it's the daily auto-regulation of individuals who are high-volume guys in practice, uh, play more snaps than anybody else in the game, come back on Monday, who's more beat up than others. So a lot of that comes down to, you know, from the, during the competitive season, a lot of that comes down. And then you'll have your plans in the, I don't like to call it off season, but everybody calls it off season. There's never, you know, when you're talking to guys and you're building out their plans and there's just, you know, you have the, the, uh, the basic structure of the plan and then they'll come in with their unique movements. Like we talked about, Hey house, these are the movements that I really think I need to concentrate on. And then I'll be, okay, well, these three are part of the plan. This one wasn't. This is where that fits. Cool. And again, you've got to have confidence in your own capabilities. And that was one great thing for me about the template of the tier system. And again, it's a lot of these terms people hate, right? But it is. It's plug and paste. (laughs) Here's the exercises I like. What can you do with them? Perfect. Here's the week. Boom, 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 (laughs) boom, boom. Go. No big deal. I have no issues with that. I mean, everybody's got their their flavor. And in the end of the day, most of my guys, even though they had a lot of, there was a lot of guys training with different unique uh, capabilities or movements that they liked, it was still within the template that I believe in. So it was the best of both worlds for all of us. I win because it's still something I believe in from a structure standpoint. They win because they're getting the, the movements they want in the program, which means we win if it all works. <laughs> As I promised, I'm going to keep it to the hour. So right. if it means a part two and it means a part three, that's that's absolutely fine. But we'll we'll, we'll keep it <laughs> we'll keep it till we'll keep it to the hour. But anyone Perfect. anyone that wants to get to know more about what you've got going on or previous work that you've you've done in the past, the book, for example, where's the best place to um, to find out more about you? Well, I mean, like like you said, in this day and age of social media, uh, uh, Instagram and Twitter is at Big House Power. My website is BigHousePower.com. That has some of my educational stuff that I have available. Uh, we're getting ready to do some different things. I can. We're going to do a uh, online course on neck training. That's going to be out. Then my next project will be an online course on athletic-based strength training utilizing Prilipin's chart, percentage-based training. And then the big one will be, the two big ones will be the mentorship for the tier system, which will probably turn into some type of certification in quotes, types of uh, certificate program. And then those, especially in the states that know the block zero concept of introducing structured organized strength training to the novice and beginners. Uh, Those are the big projects that'll be later on. We're trying to, you know, build up our catalog of stuff that's being done web-based. And we feel like the neck and the shoulder and posterior shoulder and just protecting the head in this day and age of concussions and stuff and, and how much that's rave that's a key so we we've decided as a group um, of my team that that would probably be the right one to start with and we were we're going to team up with some cool people with that to really help uh, promote it across all sports 
and uh, overseas in the states anywhere we can to be effective when it comes to helping to protect our athletes and be safe sounds good to me good mission great mission great. yeah brilliant well Appreciate i'll that. i'll i'll, I'll uh, signpost people to to the website and to your, your social medias thank you so that's perfect but Joe, thank you very much for giving up an hour of your time, an hour and a half, potentially two hours before we uh, even hit record. There was there was plenty of chats yeah. going on. So thank you very much for giving up your time. Keep in touch and we'll chat soon. Yes, and I appreciate And thank you very much. And I hope we didn't bore you. No, anybody. absolutely not. Thanks, mate. Yeah. All right, we'll talk to you. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Big thank you to Joe Big House Ken for coming on the podcast today and just saying that that nickname makes me want a nickname for myself um, but big thanks to Joe for coming on this episode also big thanks to Hawking Dynamics Fusion Sport Kitman Labs Omega Wave and Play for sponsoring this episode today the podcast could not run in its current form without these guys so I really do appreciate their support got some really cool guests coming up over the next couple of weeks from the US from the UK and from Australia so be sure to press subscribe on your chosen podcast player every Thursday morning UK time a leading practitioner a legend of the game like Joe will be available to download for free on your device so thanks for tuning in and I will chat to you next time